Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. summer we've been going through the book of Proverbs and there is a proverb in this book that I think we can all agree is just generally true. And that's the proverb that pride goes before destruction. That the arrogant tend to kind of fall on their face. And you see this in a lot of areas in life. That the area I see it the most uh, is actually in sports. And the sport I see it the most in, surprisingly, might be actually track and field. So I was actually earlier this week just watching a clip of, of a collegiate race on a track and field. And uh, the guy who was in front was in front by a ways. He was leading the pack. Uh, it was, a, I think, a longer race. And, and he's like, got this one in the bag. And he, as he's getting to the last stretch, he starts to slow down and starts to like look at the crowd and say, hey, cheer me on here. Like all fingers pointing at him, right? As he's slowing down to, to pump up the crowd and cheer him on, the guy in second place puts on the afterburners and he catches up to this guy. And in the, like the final leg of the race, he actually beats him. So this guy who was in first ends up losing and there's this clip of him on the floor with his hands on his forehead in disbelief. And we go, yep, pride goes before destruction. And I go, yeah, I mean, we can see that in sports, but probably the better question for this morning, since not a ton of us are playing high level uh, sports in this stage of life maybe, uh, is, well, what does that mean for me today when I go home with my family? And what does that mean for me when I go home or I go to work tomorrow morning or the day after that, if you don't have work tomorrow? What's this mean to me? How, how do I identify and avoid pride if it's going to lead to destruction in my life? Well, in this book of Proverbs, we've been trying to answer the question, how do we skillfully live for God in the realities and nuances of life? And this morning, we're going to talk about how do we do that with pride. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs 16. Most of our key texts this morning will be in Proverbs 16. And I would argue as we, as we open up to Proverbs that we got to get this one right. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. And I go, absolutely, we need to start there. But I would also say that this one is pretty foundational, needs to be high priority. And on top of that, all of us struggle with pride. It is not an issue of if you struggle with pride. The question is, where is pride currently manifesting in your life? So we're going to unpack that this morning. The way we're going to do that is we're going to talk about the definition of pride, the consequences of pride, and the enemy of pride. Before we get into Proverbs, I actually want to jump to uh, 1 John. You don't have to go there. It'll be up on the screen. But I want to tie last week's message into this morning's message. Uh, and 1 John 2 says this. It says, do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. Last week, we talked about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, specifically sexual immorality in Proverbs 7, as Stephen unpacked that for us last week. And First John is saying, have nothing to do with that. But it also says there in that list of things, and also have nothing to do with the pride in one's lifestyle. And you go, great, what is 
pride in my lifestyle? What does that actually look like? How would you define that? Well, instead of just trying to come up with this like picture perfect definition of pride, I decided to just lean into some godly men that I've really learned from uh, on pride and just give, them, give you some of their definitions. Uh, you don't feel like you have to write all of these down. I'm gonna unpack these principles as we get going here. But uh, Andrew Murray says this, pride is the root of every sin and evil. Tim Keller would say, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. C.J. Mahaney says, pride is when sinful human beings aspire to the status and position of God and refuse to acknowledge their dependence upon him. He would go on to say that the main goal of pride is self-glorification. And Lewis Smead says that pride is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. Now, I think it's safe to say we, we hear these definitions and we look at the world around us and we go, yep, I think this has infected our culture and our generation today. And Proverbs 30, 12 through 13 would affirm that. It would say, there is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filth. There is a generation, how haughty its eyes and pretentious its looks. There is a generation that is full of filth, and by full of filth, I mean full of pride, and they do nothing about it. They are pretentious with haughty eyes. They have a high view of themselves and an arrogant heart. I think if we look around the world today, we go, yep, I think we see a a bit of self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, and and egocentrism. And I, I go, yep, I think that's out there, absolutely. But I also want to say this morning, pride, though, is also very much in us. And the scary thing is it's very subtle and it manifests itself in a million different ways. I want to unpack just a few of those ways this morning. The first, and this kind of comes out of what Tim Keller was saying, but pride is comparative in nature. Pride is not just having stuff. It's just, it's having more stuff than your coworker, family member, friend, or or neighbor, It's not just being good, it's being better than the next person and making sure they know it. That's pride. It's when your coworker impresses your boss and you go, hold on, wait, what? Now now I've got to one-up them so that my boss sees that and thinks more highly of me. Or you look at your neighbor's lawn or garden and you go, dang, that looks pretty good. I need to put in a lot of time, money, and effort to make sure mine looks better than theirs and they know it. Or your friend gets a new car and you go, all right, well, it's time for me to buy something a little more impressive so that everyone keeps their eyes fixed on me. And you, look, you hear some of those things, you go, well, what's the big deal? That's, not, that's pretty harmless, right? I say, no, these things have very real implications. How many people in our nation or in the world, but in our nation have gone into debt trying to continually buy the next and better thing? How many families get left in the dust because mom or dad is at work trying to be better than the other coworkers and get the attention? Meanwhile, the whole time their kids are at home going, I'd love some attention. There are very real implications to pride. It is full of comparison, but it is also self-consumed. And one of the ways that pride manifests is specifically through arrogance. 
You are constantly consumed about yourself and about how you look and about how others view you, which means you are the center of the universe. You are the supreme authority of your life. You sit on the throne of your life. Everything is about you. And the scary thing is you are blinded to that reality. So the odds of you changing are probably pretty small. I think this is what we typically think of when we think of pride, isn't it? We think of arrogance, the boastful person, the athlete that scores the touchdown and celebrates by himself in the end zone, pointing to his name on the back. But I would say, doesn't this also just creep up into our lives all the time? Do you secretly love it when you are the center of attention in a room? Do you think that your answer is always right and everyone else is kind of always wrong? Is the top priority in your life getting what you want or getting other people to do what you want to do? Are you consumed about what others think about your job, what you look like or what you own? And maybe the big question essentially is, do you love the applause and approval of people more than the approval of God? If we're being honest, as we hear some of those things, we go, yeah, I think that's kind of me. Pride is real and it is in all of us. It is self-consumed. And I, I think when we think of pride, we typically think when we, when we hear self-consumed, we go down the arrogance route. I want to say this morning, there's actually another side to that coin. Same coin, different side. Because self-consumed pride can also manifest itself in insecurity. The root is the same. You are... It, the insecure person, though, is constantly consumed with, with how they look. But instead of it coming out as arrogance, it comes across as self-loathing and self-pity. Some of you like yourself enough for the rest of us, right? But some of you loathe yourselves more than anybody else in the world, and it's not even close. You feel like you need to buy different things to keep up with the expectations of other people or live up to other people's standards. You need to look a certain way, but when you look in the mirror, you hate how you look. When you, when you receive criticism or correction, that just crushes you because you so value the opinions and thoughts of others. Insecurities. So you might look at me and go, all right, Jordan, well, what about you? Which one do you struggle with? And I say, uh, yeah, all the above, all the above. I'll give you one specific example. Uh, the other week we were actually at Stephen and Natalie Jones' house. And I think maybe I just taught that Sunday, but Stephen asked me, he goes, hey, after teaching, do you, do you get kind of like post-sermon anxiety? I say, no, well, not, I wouldn't describe it as anxiety. I think for me, what happens is my heart swings hard between pride and arrogance and insecurity. And what I mean by that is, is I'll, I'll come off my sermon and I'll be thinking about it. And I'll go, man, that's, that's a pretty good sermon. <laughs> that sounded pretty great. <laughs> I really liked what I said right there. That was awesome, right? And then my heart will pendulum swing to, shoot, that wasn't that good. Or what, what, was what I said there helpful? Was that clear? Am I even a good teacher? I mean, within seconds, my heart will ping pong back and forth. And I go, yep, absolutely. I struggle with pride. That's me. My question this morning is, what is it for you? How does this manifest in your life? And this might be something where you just write down that question and go, how does this manifest in my life? And, and kind of muse on that over this next week. 
we don't have time this morning to unpack all the ways that pride can impact our life, but I think we get the point, right? I want to move on to the so what. Who cares? What's the big deal? And I want to say this morning, it is a very big deal because God is very clear on what he thinks about pride. And there are consequences to our pride. Now let's go to Proverbs 16. This is our key text for this morning. Proverbs 16:5 says this: "Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Detestable to the Lord. I, I, want that to, I want that to really sit this morning. I want that one to be heavy. Let me give you a couple other translations. King James Version says, the proud heart is an abomination to the Lord. The Amplified Version says, the proud are disgusting, hateful, and exceedingly offensive to the Lord. That is strong language. Proud people in this world might look kind of cool to us on the outside looking in, but they are an abomination to the Lord because they exalt themselves instead of exalting him. God hates the proud. He is against them. If you are proud, you are on a crash course towards the God of the universe and you will be crushed. This is what it means when Proverbs says pride goes before destruction. Let me go ahead and just read that proverb for us. It's in the same chapter. Chapter 16, verses 18 through 19 says, Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly of spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. Proverbs is saying the first step towards destruction is pride. And this is counterintuitive for us today because let's be honest, we like to hang out with the winners in life, not the losers in life. But what Proverbs is saying is it's better to be, like if you think warfare imagery, it's better to be with the humble injured soldiers who couldn't go into battle than to go with the proud victors and hang out with them. Why? Because pride goes before destruction and God will destroy the proud. Now you might ask, where in God's word do we see this? Where are examples of this? Narratives where we see pride going before destruction. And the place my mind went to uh, was actually uh, Daniel. You don't have to turn there. This will be on the screen. But uh, in the book of Daniel, God's people are in exile. Uh, Babylon is the uh, ruling authority of the world. And the king of Babylon is King Nebuchadnezzar. And this this guy loved him some him. He, he made a 90-foot statue made of gold that was nine feet wide to, to essentially put on display his power and authority and wanted people to worship that statue. I think you hear that and you go, yeah, it seems like that's a pretty good example of pride. Now, God comes to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, you need to humble yourself, but Nebuchadnezzar arrogantly refuses. That's, that's kind of like the, the scene set up. Now, I just want to read a chunk of, of Daniel 4 to us this morning. It says this, All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, the king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power for my majestic glory? It's pride. Verse 31, while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared that the kingdom has departed from you. 
You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals and you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the most high is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Pride goes before destruction. A proud king, God tells him to humble himself. He says, no. So God's like, all right, well, you're gonna end up in a field looking more like an animal than a human being. Pride goes before destruction. Now, the end of that story is actually Nebuchadnezzar goes on to actually repent uh, and humble himself before the Lord and is restored. But I, I believe that story is a warning shot for us this morning. Nebuchadnezzar experienced temporary earthly punishment for his pride. And I go, yep, people today will experience temporary earthly punishment for their pride. We will see that in some people's lives. But you go a step beyond that and you go, but there is also an eternal punishment waiting for the proud. Proverbs 16, 25 says this, there is a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. The proud have it all figured out but their whole life is a trajectory towards not just physical death, but an eternal death. An eternity underneath the wrath of a holy God. And there is no hope for escape. That is the trajectory of the proud. This is a sobering, sobering reality. Pride goes before destruction. So we hear that and we have to ask the question, all right, well, how do we avoid pride then? Because that sounds like a horrible path. Well, we avoid pride by embracing the enemy of pride. And there are no surprises or curveballs here. It is humility. It is humility. Now the question is, how important is it for a Christ follower to walk the path of humility? Well, I'm going to lean into St. Augustine on this one. I really appreciate really appreciate his quote on this. Uh, he says this, if you should ask me, what are the ways of God? I would tell you that the first is humility. The second is humility. And the third is humility. Not that there are no other precepts to give, but if humility does not precede all that we do, our efforts are fruitless. It's pretty important. It needs to be the foundation of our walk with Christ. So, so let's keep asking the questions. Well, then what is humility? And to do that, I'm going to go back to some of those godly men who have been influential for me and give some of their definitions. Again, just let this sink in. Andrew Murray says, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. Tim Keller, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself it is thinking of myself less. And C.J. Mahaney says, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Ultimately, Christ, follow, Christ followers who are humble are self-forgetful people. They are not consumed by themselves. 
nor are they consumed by what everybody else thinks about them. They are not riddled with insecurities because their identity is in the person of Jesus Christ. The supreme authority of their life is Jesus, which means their eyes are not fixed on them. Their eyes are fixed on their king. Now, I'm curious for you guys, have you ever seen this lived out? Like that definition and everything I just talked about with humility. Have you seen it? I've seen it. Now, no, nobody's perfect outside of Jesus, but I've seen some humble people in my life. I remember uh, when I was on a mission trip with Salt Company over to China for two months, I engaged with a believer who was in his mid-20s. And this guy, I'm telling you, I don't know if I've met a man more passionate about God powerful evangelist, powerful preacher of God's word. And one of the most powerful prayers I've ever been around got on his knees and prayed to the Lord always. And when I was interacting with him, it was really interesting to kind of observe and watch because he'd come off the stage from preaching or get done sharing the gospel with somebody. And I go, man, that was awesome. Great job. And he would never receive it. What I mean by that is, is, is he always went, praise God. Thank God. It was almost like I would send something his way and he would just deflect it upwards. And it kind of got frustrating. I thought, just, ex just accept one of my like, compliments, right? But that was just his life, his ethos. It's not about him. It was all about Jesus. So the question I want to ask this morning is how do we walk that path? What's that look like? How do we do that? Well, I think a beautiful example of this from the words of Jesus is in Luke 18. This will be up on the screen as well. Let me read this for us. Let's talk about Jesus, that he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. How about that for a definition of pride? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. All right, let's just make some simple observations here. What do we see about the Pharisee? Well, unfortunately for the Pharisee, he was a proud person, but cloaking it in religion. What were the couple things we talked about? Pride is comparative in nature and it is self-consumed. How about this guy? God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. I'm so glad I'm better than these other people. And look at all that I do. Look at all the attention on me. Look at, I fast twice a week. I give a 10th of everything. I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? Compare that with the tax collector who could not even raise his eyes to heaven. Why? Because he realized he was a sinner in front of a holy God. Now, who does Jesus celebrate? The tax collector. So let's learn from the tax collector. There's two truths I think that are true about this tax collector that we need to talk about this morning. The first truth is this. You are worse than you think you are. We all are worse than we think we are. Hopefully, as we've unpacked pride this morning, it's opened your eyes a bit to go, man, I think I'm actually kind of proud. 
And I go, yep. And it's actually worse than that. And I can guarantee it. And if you are here this morning and you have not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I am telling you, this is the first step towards salvation. Humility. It is understanding that I am a broken sinner and actually I'm worse than I even thought I was. I really need a savior. I I can't get my way to heaven because I'm pretty messed up. I need Jesus. I need the saving work of the cross in my life in order to be saved. Humility is the first step towards salvation. So we are all worse than we think we are. But on top of that, God is greater and more holy than you will ever realize. Let me give you a principle that I think is just generally true. You are humbly put in your place when you are in the presence of true greatness. You are humbly put in your place when you are in the presence of true greatness. Let me illustrate this with a story that happened in my life. Uh, In the world of physical therapy, um, you know, I got a a lot of really cool experiences that I had no business being a part of or deserving. Uh, But one of those was I I got to step into the locker room, uh, the Chicago Bears for a preseason scrimmage game. Um, And it was awesome. I mean, my dad is from Chicago. So I am Bulls, Bears, Cubs, Blackhawks, everything. And so for me, this is kind of a dream come true. I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room with these Bears players. And I'm telling you, I stepped in that room and I'm like, these guys are monsters. These are, these are huge men. And you see them on TV and you're like, yeah, they seem like they're pretty big. And then you stand next to a six foot seven, 350 pound offensive lineman. And you're like, I'm so small. I'm so small. Now, let me give you a quick bio of my football career. My high school was small. I graduated at 36. We didn't have football. But in middle school, I played one year of, of, of football. And I was tight end, believe it or not. I was a little more big bone back then. I was tight end. And uh, I, I scored a touchdown in one of the games. And I was opening the end zone. The quarterback found me. And the, the final score was 6 nothing. So I essentially scored the game-winning touchdown, right? So do you think when I walked into that locker room that I called all the guys' attention to me and said, hey, Let me tell you the story about when I was in middle school. (laughs) No. First of all, let's be honest. I don't have the body type that you look at and you go, I bet that guy's got a lot of impressive football stories. Just not true of my life. But second of all, I am in the presence of professional athletes. The last thing I'm going to do is talk about my middle school career. They probably had one play that was more impressive than everything that I've done in my whole sports life. (laughs) So what do you think I did when I walked into that room? I kept my mouth shut. I I spoke when spoken to, I knew my place. You are humbly put in your place when you're in the presence of true greatness. Now let's apply that principle to the greatness of the God of the universe. Every time that somebody came into the presence of God in scripture, what happens? Bryant Hayes, one of our elders pointed this out. When they stepped into the presence of God, they were completely undone completely undone, fell on their face because they realized who they were and how holy God was. Let me give you some examples. Ezekiel 128. Ezekiel is sitting by a canal. He sees a vision of God. The heavens are opened and he experiences the glory of God. And Ezekiel says, when I saw it, all of those things, I fell face down. 
Isaiah, beginning of Isaiah, Isaiah gets a vision of God sitting on a throne and the temple is filled with his glory. And Isaiah sees it and, and shouts out, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and have lived among a people of unclean lips. He is undone because he realizes how unholy he is in the presence of a holy God. Finally, go to Revelation, last book of the Bible. John is on Patmos. He gets a vision of Jesus. And Jesus comes with fire in his eyes, a sword coming out of his mouth, and his face shining like the sun. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. What I am saying this morning is that when you are in the presence of God, good luck staying on your feet. If you want to kill your pride, step into the presence of Jesus Get off the throne of your life and get on your face and worship the king of the universe. Now you say, how do I do that? I go, I would start by going to, to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, reading some chapters, getting to know Jesus, what he's done, what he's taught, the finished work of the cross. Get on your knees in the presence of Jesus. Thank him for what he's done. Praise him and worship him. I guarantee you, you are not gonna step up from that time and go, I'm pretty awesome, aren't I? No, you're not going to say that when you step up from that time. You're going to step up and go, why in the world would this Jesus save a sinner like me? Everything gets in place when you step into the presence of God and come face to face with him. We realize that we are not the center of the universe. He is. It is not about us. It is all about Jesus. This has been the cure for my life, for pride and insecurity when it comes to teaching. Because I know my job and responsibility this morning standing in front of you is to get out of the way and show you Jesus. To be faithful to the text and with all my might elevate Jesus as high as possible for you to see him as glorious and beautiful. When I pray the Lord's Prayer every morning, when I get to hallowed be your name, I say, Father, would your name be made great among the Cedar Valley and beyond and use me however you want to use me for that end let your name be remembered and let my name be forgotten. If you want to grow in humility, you need to shrink the view of yourself and expand the view of God for the rest of your life. Humility is not a virtue where you go, check, got it. I'm good on that one, on to the next thing. You and I, all of us will always be growing in our awareness of our sinfulness and our awareness of God's holiness. Now you might hear that and go, I, I, I still can't see it. I, don't, I can't see what you're saying. And I go, I get that. I'm, I'm also a visual person. Let me give you a, what, what is called the cross chart that I think will be helpful. This was in Bob Thune's book, The Gospel-Centered Life. But for any believer, as you're walking in time, you eventually hit to the point of conversion where you say, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you come from spiritual death to life. From that moment on, Every believer, the general trend of our life should be that we are growing in our awareness of our flesh and our sinfulness, and at the same time, growing in our awareness of God's holiness. Now, God's holiness isn't increasing. He's already holy and perfect, and it's not our sin that's increasing. It's our awareness of those realities. But what happens as those things expand in our life? Do you see that? The cross gets bigger we realize how big of a deal it was that Jesus went to the cross because the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness is infinite. And we will continue to grow in our awareness of those realities. But 
God came in flesh and went on our behalf. Philippians 2 says that, that Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And the more we understand this reality, those two realities, and the, the cross gets bigger and bigger, pride dies in our life and Jesus takes its place. Just imagine, what would it look like if our church embraced that, all of that? I tell you, singing on a Sunday morning would be filled with awe and wonder of our holy God. We would be the kind of people that would get on our knees in prayer, in dependence of our holy God. We would follow Jesus's example and look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. People in this room, in our church family, would not be riddled with insecurities because our identity is in the person of Jesus Christ, which means when the father sees us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son, which means he sees perfection, which means we can rest. Our identity is in Jesus, not what other people say of us. And ultimately pride would be killed and Jesus would sit in the throne of our lives. How do we get there? We realize that we are worse than we think we are. Our awareness of our sin grows. We realize that God is more holy than our human brain can ever comprehend. And we realize that Jesus loves us more than we'll ever know. Your call believer is to grow in your awareness of these truths and let them impact every aspect of your life. This is the essence of humility. This is what we're called to embrace as believers. The world is telling you, Make the universe center around yourself, but the gospel is telling you, walk in the freedom of humility. As you get your eyes off of yourself, fix them on Jesus, forget yourself and point everything to the finished work of the cross. Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful that although you are holy and we are sinful, that you sent your son for us. We definitely did not deserve it, but we are eternally grateful for it. Jesus, I pray that all of us would grow in humility, that we would radically attack and kill and mortify pride in our life. This, is, this sermon's been so refreshing for my own soul. Thank you for Proverbs 16 and the way that it's shaped me to be more like you, Jesus. Um, but we need help. We need your grace to grow in these things. It's not a quick one, two, three checklist. Great, now I've grown in humility. This is a constant growth for the rest of our lives. So uh, Jesus, help us to repent of pride in our life. Help us to grow in humility. And we know now that what that means is our eyes are no longer on us and consumed by us and our world, but we are focused and fixed on you, Jesus. And so this morning we worship you. We are so grateful for all that you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray all these things. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.